you may be seated. Good morning, my name is Liz, if I haven't met you yet. I am married to Kevin. We have been here for about three years. We lead an outward group, and I'm also in charge of communications, and I serve at the Connect Desk, and I'm going to be reading Luke 18, one through 14. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? He also told them, told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Good morning, let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning uh, for your word. Lord, I pray that it would bring conviction. I pray that, uh, those of us that want to reject it, would uh, have our minds changed. Lord, I, I, I pray that you would bring about great conviction, Lord, that you would work on our hearts by the power of your spirit, and Lord, that you would bring us to a sense of encouragement, a sense of grace, a sense of mercy, and what you're doing in this world and uh, how we can participate. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for being here this morning. Uh, at Outward Church. Glad that you're here. Uh, this is an exciting time at Outward Church. Uh, we are planting a church in Silverton uh, at a, uh, a, a new location out there. Uh, this church will remain here and we'll continue going. Uh, next week will be our send-off. Uh, I believe it's going to be in second service uh, where we're going to pray over some of the folks that are going. Um, and, uh, and so this is kind of bittersweet because this is second to the last service that uh, some of us will be a part of. Um, and, uh, and it, it, things are going to be different. They're, they're going to, they're going to change a little bit. Um, this is a place where we've, we've become comfortable with this. We've been comfortable with routine. We've been comfortable with the way that it is. Uh, but we believe that the, the hope of the gospel is found in the word of God. The hope of God's gospel is found there. And it's not just for us. It's not just for us to be comfortable here um, at Outward Church in Salem, but it is to share that news with the rest of the world. And we're beginning with Silverton <laughs> So um, uh, after this. And so we're excited about that, and I hope that you uh, will be praying over that, um, giving towards that. I pray that you'll be uh, serving. Uh, we need many more people to step up here as uh, some of our, I don't, I don't know what it is, but the, the Silverton people are serious servants. They are, and not that everybody else isn't, I'm not trying to criticize you, but if you're not serving, I am. But, uh, if, uh, uh, but we have a lot of servants who are going to be going to Silverton uh, to help there. So that's creating some holes here. So we need folks to step up. We need folks to step up and serve with kids ministry, with safety, with uh, music and all of that stuff. If you play bass, if you play electric guitar, we'd love to um, have you go through an audition. If you, I, I don't know what other instruments, whatever uh, you might play, uh, it might be weird, but uh, we'll see if we fit you in uh, the flute or something. There's nothing wrong with the flute. I like the flute occasionally, very, very, very occasionally, but 
Um, but that would be fine. Um, in any case, we're totally off on a tangent now. But we, we need some folks to step up. So we'd love for you guys to be a part of that and, uh, and, and help out with this. So be here next week. Uh, and then be here throughout the summer. Try to plan vacations around uh, being at church, if, if at all possible, um, uh, just because it, uh, things get stretched a little bit, and we need folks to be here. So I, I'm, I'm hoping that I'm, I'm making that clear. Uh, we're in Luke chapter 18. We're going to be in Luke chapter 18. So you can turn your Bibles there if you have one with you. Uh, that would be awesome. If not, it'll be up on the screen here. Um, over, uh, in fact, last week, Brian Bradley was teaching on this passage in uh, chapter 17, verse 20, which says, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, and he goes on to talk about the kingdom of God. And it's talking about this, this point in time when, when Jesus is going to return. It's the, it's, I don't know if you remember last week, but Brian was talking about the already but not yet and the, the not yet actually happening. That's like Jesus returning it makes everything right. And there's gonna be this moment where everything's gonna change. Like these two women are gonna be working together and then one of them's gonna disappear and the other one stays there. There's really scary movies about that in the, in the 80s that I had to watch and uh, it's just weird, you know, with the lawnmower just sitting in the middle of the lawn and like the rapture happened and somebody disappeared and then the kitchen sink is still on and mom's gone and uh, I mean, just, just spooky stuff. Like, uh, if, you, if, you, if you get an opportunity, look up Thief in the Night. It's a movie, and I think it's on YouTube. Somebody, I think somebody showed this to me a while ago, but scary stuff, not something that, like, I, I don't know, I was probably like five or eight or something when I watched that. I, was like, I, better, I better believe in Jesus because that's scary stuff. But it's true. And so uh, it's, it's, it's in the Bible. And, uh, and Jesus is, is talking about when the kingdom of God is going to come and he is going to return and everything is gonna be made right. Everything is, is finally, justice is going to be brought to all things. And I, and I think that Jesus is kind of working backwards. Like here's the end in mind and then he's gonna work backwards. And that's what this passage is today that he's talking about. He's working backwards from that setting. Now, why would we want everything to be made right? I mean, there, there's not very many problems today, right? There's not like, not like a bunch of political fighting or just constant, you know, digging at one another. There's not any of that, right? We, we don't see that in, in culture, do we? Uh, we, yeah, we, yes, we do. I don't even see any nods or anything. I don't see, like, are you guys awake yet? Like, what's happening here? Uh, there's lots of problems, and we talk about them every single week, and I feel like sometimes like it's just I'm sick of talking about uh, the problems, but the hope of the gospel brings about the already. It brings about this justice in, in life. It, just, it, it shows us a glimpse of God's justice. It shows us a glimpse of the kingdom of God, but this is going to be talking about that a little bit here. And it says this, and he told them a parable to the effect that they always ought to pray and not lose heart. So that's, I mean, you don't often get like a, a summary statement. Jesus, Jesus is, is basically going to tell us, Luke says, that you should pray and you shouldn't lose heart. A lot of times you look at this passage and you might say, you know what, I really should pray more often. I really should. And my hope this morning is maybe you leave with that, but I think there's something deeper here. Luke is just kind of setting that up and just saying that's kind of what the surface answer is, but I want to dig a little bit deeper. What happens here is it, it says this. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. Jesus, I'm sorry, God is the judge, but he's a righteous judge. He's a, he's a different kind of judge. So just think about God as this judge. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. Give me justice against my adversary. Give me justice, give me justice. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, she's coming after me, like this woman will not Leave me alone. I'm so sick of hearing her ask me this over and over again. Give me justice. Someone has done me wrong. Give me justice. Someone has done me wrong. 
Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down. That word not beat me down is not give me a black eye is, is, is what the original language uh, says there. She, she is really coming after this guy by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. Do you hear what that unrighteous judge says? Do you hear what he says here? He says this, and, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Now that, is, it's, it's kind of confusing because he's, at first it's talking about prayer. You really should pray a lot. Be like this widow. Just keep praying and praying and praying and praying. Pester God until he's like, all right, fine, I'll give it to you. That kind of a thing. And then it ends with, uh, will he find faith on earth? It's like, man, how are these things connected? Well, I think they're connected through that word justice. If you look throughout the passage, it says over and over again, give me justice, I will give her justice. Will not God give justice? He will give justice. Over and over again, it says he will give justice. And as I said at the top of the sermon, we're kind of in this place in our world right now where many of us, whether you are right-leaning or left-leaning, have an area where you see injustice. There's an area where you see injustice in the world. That your adversary, in, in many cases, is the, are the injustices that you feel, that you experience, that you see. Your adversary are, are all of these things that are taking place, and you're in this place where you're saying, I want the world to be made right. I want the world to, to change. I want everything to come back to where it was. I want the economy to be restored. I want our, our health in this pandemic to be over with, and I, I, you know, I want my job back, I want whatever it is. But most of us have an idea of what that is. And the passage is telling us something. What you're asking for, what you're desiring, is you're desiring justice. You see the injustices. This widow had been unjustly treated in this story. The widow had been unjustly treated and she wanted justice. She wanted her justice. She wanted to be restored in that way, just like us. And the parable, is a how much more than type parable. Essentially, if an unrighteous judge will only give justice uh, to a widow because, she's, uh, because he's tired of, uh, of, of her asking, how much more will the righteous judge, God, give justice to his people? If an unrighteous judge will finally give in to a widow, how much more will God give in and give you justice? How much more will God give you justice? And so then he says, but when he returns to bring that justice, how many people will have faith? What's the, what's the connection there? The connection there is this. In order to sit in this world and to experience it and to see the injustices that we consistently experience. In order to sit in this world and, and to experience these injustices and yet continue to look to, to God, to can continue to cry out to him, to continue to say to him, Lord, my adversary, my adversary, my adversary, like, like we, we give me justice against this adversary. It takes faith for someone to continually be after God and to say, I want you to change it. I want, God, please change this circumstance and that circumstance and that circumstance. God, I want you to change it. I want you to change it. And Jesus is saying, I'm gonna change it all right. But how many people are going to wait that long? He says it speedily. What I think that means is that when it happens, it's, it's going to happen fast. 
But I wonder how bad folks really want that. I wonder how bad people really want that. You see, every moment of discomfort, every moment of injustice is an opportunity to long for the justice that the kingdom of God will bring. Jesus had just talked about, like, the Pharisees asked him, when will the kingdom of God come? And Jesus is now talking about, like, what, what, what we're to do in the meantime. What is, what is to happen here? And what we're to do in the meantime is to long for it, is to long for things to be made right. Every moment that you say, this shouldn't be this way, that shouldn't be that way, Every moment, every time that you say that, every experience that you have of that is saying, I want the kingdom of God. I'm waiting on him. I'm waiting on, it, on him, and I want him to make it right. I want him, I, I, I want him to change it. I want him to, to make it different. And I wonder... If we're people that are at that place, I wonder if we are people that are at the place where we would say, I'm dependent on God and I want him to bring justice. Do you see injustices in our world? I see, I mean, me and my brother were just talking the other day and Talking about, like, what were the problems that we were dealing with in high school? Like, there was this united front against drugs. The D.A.R.E. program, I don't know if, you, if you're old enough to remember that. That was, that was brought on in the Reagan administration. I don't know if you remember that or not. But uh, <laughs> the D.A.R.E. program, D.A.R.E. not to do drugs. It was a big joke when I was in, in high school. I didn't do that many drugs, but, um, but some. I, but, and, I, and I'm not happy about that. It's not a good thing, but... I just want to make sure we get the children taken care of in here. But uh, the D.A.R.E. program. I mean, th this was, there was this united front against drugs, drug dealing, uh, you know, uh, all of that stuff. There's this united front against drinking while driving. There was this united front against pregnancy uh, in high school, teaching abstinence and stuff. Look at the morality of our, of our culture today. Look at uh, the hypersexuality that is being brought into our schools. Look at how everything is being sexualized. And some of you are, are saying, yeah, that's right, that's good. We'll see. We'll see what depression and anxiety and suicide rates too. Because I can tell you, I think I know. I think I know where it's going. When you tell someone, yeah, you are in charge of your identity, eventually they're gonna lose hope. They're gonna lose hope in, in that identity. And we can sit here and we can throw these, these stones and say, look at, I mean, back then, at least we were all united around this idea of like no drugs, no drinking, no, no teen pregnancy. And today, we're, we're uh, now much of culture is united around the idea of you do whatever you feel like doing, and we'll all change. And anybody who says otherwise will be castigated and removed from culture. I mean, that, there's some injustice there. there there's some injustice there. I believe there's injustice for children. The damage, the absolute irreversible damage that's happening to young children who are being told, you can be a boy when you're actually a girl. You can be a girl when you're actually a boy. You can be whatever gender you think up. Demi Lovato just recently came out and she said her pronouns are now they. Like, is, is this the biggest problem that we have? No, whatever, but, but like, this is, this is craziness. Look at the injustice of what's taking place. Look at the injustice of people that are in South American countries 
and how they, they, they're being killed there because of gangs, and they're trying to get to America. If they could just get across that border, like this, you know, this government will let them in. How could you blame them? Look at the injustice of what they're dealing with and how hurt they are and how they just, they want their kid. How could you send your kid over the border by itself? How could you do that? Because you're desperate and it, there's injustice going on in their country. Look at that injustice. Look at the heartlessness of right-wing republicanism that says, I don't care about them, I just want them out. I, I realize there's other problems here, but look at that. Look at the injustice of all that stuff. And God is saying, Jesus is saying, I don't just want to hear from you once. I want you to reach out to me and I want you to pray and I want you to pray and I want you to pray as if I was some type of unrighteous judge and you needed to do that, but you don't need to do that because I am the righteous judge and I am going to right every wrong. And many of us can say, hallelujah, Jesus is coming is he's gonna wipe out all of the in, unjust people and he, he's gonna kill them all. The rest of us are gonna be left. Except there's another passage, which says, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Oh, it's not just the justice that I want to see. It's not just the justice that they want to see. It's the justice that God wants to see. Because I got to tell you, one of the biggest problems that we have today is that we have two opposing sides that, that believe that they are righteous, they trust in themselves that they were righteous, and treated the others with contempt. Man, that should be convicting. That should be. I hope it is. So then he says, two, went up, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, and the other a tax collector. It sounds like one of those jokes, like two guys walk into a bar, a Jew and a, you know, what, <laughs> I don't know, what have you, and it's, it always cracks me up. And I, and I wonder if Jesus is doing that sometimes. Like, is he tell, is it, does it sound like a joke in that day? So there's these two guys that walk into a bar, and then it starts to get serious from there. I don't know, that's just what I, I hope he's doing. So, um, so he says, two men went up into the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, and the other, a tax collector. A Pharisee, for those of you that, that don't know, are people who are very devout Jews. They are the most devout. In their day, somebody, uh, in fact, I believe that there's a saying, I read this in a, in a commentary, I just remembered it, that, that says, if only two people get into heaven, at least one of them will be a Pharisee. There's this idea that these are the really good and holy people. These are the people that have it all together. These are the people that, that get it right. So there's a, a Pharisee, and then there's the tax collector. The tax collector, which we've talked about before here, but tax collectors have gotta be uh, the, the most hated people in that culture. The, the, most, the most hated. And so, as Jesus is telling this story, there is this sense of, 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 of people who are, they're thinking to themselves, yeah, a Pharisee belongs in the temple, but the tax collector, for him to even enter into the temple, would have been super strange. It would have been totally weird. Everybody would have been like, what are you doing here? Like, what, <laughs> what happened? Like, uh, there's nobody to steal from in here. Uh, there's no girls to pick up while you're here. They're, they're down on such and such a street. Like, that's, that's where you need to go. That, I mean, they, they would have been legitimately shocked that this guy comes in. And so Jesus is telling this story, and it's gotta be shocking to them because they're saying, why would a tax collector be in the temple? There's no way that a tax collector would do that. So it says, the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. 
I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And I want to point out one thing before we go any further. Give me justice. Give me justice. Give me justice. I will give you justice. Uh, uh, he will give justice. And then Jesus goes into another story. We don't know if he told them right at the same time, but we do know that Luke put them in order, and he calls it an orderly account. And so he's trying to tell us something through the order of these stories. Justice, justice, justice. And then Jesus says, this is the guy who went down to his house justified. And what it means is this. If you want justice in the world... If you want justice to be brought to everything in this world, then you must understand this, that everything includes you. If you want justice here, then you gotta want it here. It can't just be, I want justice for all y'all people that have voted the wrong way and are putting these wrong people here and those wrong people there and requiring this and, and not obeying that and... It can't just be that. It has to be, I want justice for everything. I want justice to be here and now in me. And so Jesus begins to call out the Pharisee. And the Pharisee is not just the religious person today. Because you can have right-wing Pharisees and you can have left-wing Pharisees. Either way, they're Pharisees, because a Pharisee is this. A Pharisee is somebody who trusted in themselves that they were righteous, that their voting record was righteous, that their way of life was righteous, that their way of doing things was righteous, and treated others with contempt. That's who a Pharisee is. So what's a Pharisee like? Well, there's two different prayers. I mean, take note of this as well, that the, the widow was praying, and here we have two types of people who are now praying. You can want justice, but you better want justice for yourself as well. God, I thank you that I am not like other men. First of all, God, I want to thank you that I'm not like the Republicans. I want to thank you that I'm not uh, like some uh, right-wing uh, Trump supporter. And I thank you that I care about the environment. And I, I thank you that I list the uh, progressive platform, whatever. I thank you that that's what I'm like. Or you, probably a lot of conservatives in here as well. Lord, I thank you that I am not like all of those liberal Democrats. I thank you that I do not support this thing, that thing, the other thing, that I care for people, that I want to take care of those folks and these folks and whatever. I just thank you that I'm not like whatever. The first thing that you see here is that he's self-righteous. He's righteous in and of himself. He looks to himself as the standard of righteousness and says, I am righteous because of the things that I don't do. A misconception about Christianity is that Christianity is a list of, of do's and don'ts, and it's mostly don'ts. Don't, don't do this, that, or the other thing. And, and you'll be fine. That's how I grew up. That's, that's, that's how I felt about Christianity. I could not do anything. There was nothing that I, <laughs> that I wanted to, to do, which in large part led me to do all those things. It was a list of, it was a list of don'ts to me, and I did all of them uh, quite a bit. But he says, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, 
adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I thank you that, I, that I'm not this uh, you know, type of person who just unjustly treats people, that I, you know, I'm not cheating on my spouse. I thank, you that I'm, I thank you that I'm just such a good person. I think it's more prevalent than we might think. I think our, our, our big problem in this, in this world and in this church is the idea that I think this is, it sounds ridiculous on the surface. Like, who would pray like that? I would. I don't know. Have you ever done that? Have you treated others with contempt? Oh, that guy doesn't work. Oh, that guy, uh, he's kind of a punk. That woman's not a, not a good mom. That, that's not the way that she do that. She dresses kind of, eh. I think it's pretty prevalent in the church. I think it's pretty prevalent outside of the church. There's, there's a sense in which we are all righteous in and of ourselves. And I would argue this, that it is the default mode of the human heart to constantly believe that I am righteous in and of myself and that I need nothing else to take care of me. That I don't need anything outside of myself, that I am righteous. I'm a pretty good guy. I kind of have my life together. I'm not really, I'm not really doing anything wrong. And so God should accept me. Or maybe I don't even need God because I'm, I'm a pretty good person. I don't really have to worry about those kinds of things. Jesus is specifically condemning. And I would argue he's even pointing out something, that the problem with the, the injustice, the problem with the adversary in the world is rooted in the human heart that says, I don't need any, anybody else. All I need is myself and my own righteousness. It's my own definition of what is right and wrong. That is what is rooted in our culture today. And it's creating chaos, as we've said many times before. He says, and then now he's got a list of dues. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Two very good things. I mean, we could hope that uh, many of us might, might fast occasionally. Uh, some of us, like myself, need to fast a little more frequently uh, than I am right now. It would do my spiritual life as well as my physical life uh, a great deal of help, which I, I, I am. I'm doing low carb right now. Um, so, yeah, we'll see how that goes. I may not have wanted to say that. Um, but he says he fasts twice a week. He gives tithes of all that he gets. Like, this guy is really committed. He's really committed to this thing, the, you know, this way of life. Many of us today would look at this person and we'd say, they have the appearance of righteousness. And yet inside of this person, the prayer life of this person is, is God, give me justice, give me justice because of all those people out there and the wrong things that they're doing. And Jesus is gonna point something out to us in a second here. But the tax collector standing far off. The tax collector comes into the temple and instead of going to the customary place of prayer and lifting up his, his hands, his eye, whatever it is that you would do during that time, he stands way far off. It's like way in, way in the background. He's standing far off. Look at what it says about the, the tax collector standing by himself. God, I thank you that I am not like all of those other sinners and that I fast twice a week and that I give a tenth of everything that I get. The tax, or the tax collector, this very sinful guy, was standing very far off. And it's like, I can't even approach the Holy of Holies. In that day, prior to Jesus going to the cross, there's a temple, there's a curtain. Behind that curtain is the Holy of Holies. Only the high priest could go in there. You, you go there to meet with God. That's where God was. 
And so this guy comes in. I can't even get close to God. I can't even approach him. I can't even experience him. The Pharisees' righteousness is in comparison to other men. It's built on a presumption of grace rather than a presumption of guilt. The tax collector comes in with a presumption of guilt and a pleading for grace. He can't even look at him. He can't even approach him. He can't get near him. He would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. He's not, he's not doing this, God, I thank you. He's, he's, he's down like this. He sees something in his life. He's convicted about something. But instead of talking about all of the reasons why God should accept him, I thank you this, I thank you that, I thank you the other thing. He says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He's beating his breast. Man, anybody ever feel like that? I gotta tell you, I think it's a good place to be. Lord, why? Why did I do that? Ah, Gosh, you think back over your past and you look back at those moments. Gosh, I have moments like that. That just, ah. I, I just, I think about those. Maybe it's your present. Ah. Oh, man. Lord, I don't even know how you use me. I don't even know how you accept me. I don't even know Maybe it's your future. Maybe you know where this is going. Maybe you know what's gonna happen this week. And you're just, you're wincing at it. Like if you had to have a conversation with God, it would only have to be like, I don't have a leg to stand on, God. And this tax collector, he's not just a sinner. Almost every commentator points out that he's not saying a sinner. He's, he's using the definite article, and he's saying, God be merciful to me, the sinner. And isn't, isn't that the case in many of our, our lives? Where we say, I'm not just one of many. I am the sinner. I mean, some of you are here today and, you, and you're just like, if anybody knew the depths of my heart, if anybody knew how unjust I've been, if anybody knew where, where I'm at, then I'd be in trouble. I'm not just a sinner, I am the sinner. I am the one, I'm the one sinner. Here. So why is he beating his breast? He's, he's just saying, I don't have anything to offer. I don't know, what, what is this? What is this motion? What is this doing? It just, it, it's something that is just like, I just, I just feel like I deserve something that's very bad. I feel like I deserve to be beat. I don't know, what is he saying through that? He is emotional. He is broken over his sin And he says, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And some of us need to come to a point where we understand ourselves as the sinner. This is part and parcel to the gospel. Listen to the gospel over and over again. 1 Timothy 1.15, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost, the apostle Paul says. Earlier in Luke chapter five, verse 32, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners 
to repentance. Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost, not the found. Romans 5.20, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. This is, this is what the gospel is. Christ came to save sinners. He did not come to save the righteous. Remember that a few weeks ago? Look at, what, do you, what do you think Luke wants us to know? What do you think God wants you to know today? He did not come to call the righteous. He came to call sinners. And many of us are sitting here and saying, that's a good message for all those people that are unrighteous that need to hear this. But Jesus is talking to you. When he returns, will he find faith? Will he find people that are longing for his justice, not just out there, but in here, in an ever-increasing way? Will he find faith in you, that you've been longing for justice, not just out there, but in your heart of hearts? This is what the gospel is. It is seeing and understanding my fallenness. It's seeing and understanding. I cannot even approach this God. I cannot get near to the holy of holies because of my sin. And some of our sins are more pronounced than others. But some of you are riddled with pride because you have got your crap together. Your finances, your house, your life, your all of this stuff. Some of us are, are so full of ourselves that we think that we are righteous in and of ourselves. And we've grown tired of the whole Christianity thing because we think we don't need Jesus anymore. And we're acting pharisaical. Some of us don't think we need any God because we've got our act together. And Jesus is communicating something to us. He's saying, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. What's that mean? The, the Pharisee says, I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all I get. The tax collector gets drunk at least twice a week and he takes a tithe from everybody that he does business with and not for God, but for himself. This means that the person that struggles with pornography in this room and yet knows they're in a bad way and cries out for mercy is in a better spot than the person that thinks that they have it all together. Jesus is pretty strong here. That's the person that's going to his house justified. The person who doesn't think that they need, need Jesus, no chance. This means the person that is cheated on their spouse and no one knows, and yet they are beating themselves up and they're just going, I can't even get close to God. I feel, I feel dirty even being in this room because I know that I've done wrong and nobody knows it. Or everybody knows it. And I don't feel like I belong here. This means that the woman who is addicted to gossip, who's constantly gossiping and knows that she is gossiping, and not that it's just a a female problem, it's a male problem as well, but I'm just trying to include the gals in this. The woman who knows that she is, is lost in that and, is, and cannot even seem to approach God with this and is just begging for mercy. God, I'm just, I'm just praying that you won't cut me off. I'm just praying that, that this time won't be the end. They're like, all right, that's it. You, you've done it this time. I kept warning you, I kept warning you, and I kept warning you, and my grace is done. It means that Jesus is more accepting 
it almost feels heretical, is more accepting of the person who is more sinful, which is not entirely true, but just go with me here for a second. It's, it's, as, it's as though it's like the worse it is, the better, the more grace. I mean, that, that verse in Romans 5.20, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Like, that's, what, that's like my favorite verse lately. It's just like, man, he just keeps pouring it out. He just keeps pouring it out. Like, how can that be? Do you want justice in the world? You better want justice for yourself. How do you get it? I think it's hard for people who have been in religion for a long time to understand that. But the Apostle Paul understands it, and he wants you to see it. It says in Philippians 3, beginning in verse 4, about halfway in, if anyone else thinks he has reasons for confidence in the flesh, I have more. He lists out all of his great things, but he's a Pharisee. And those of you who are sitting as religious or irreligious Pharisees need to, need to listen up. You need to hear this. You need to know it. I thought I had it all together, and then he says this, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. It's not an asset that I have all of these good things going for me. I'm good to my family. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. I'm doing all these other, other things. But what, whatever I considered as gain, it's not an asset. It's a liability. It's all of the good things are not gain. They are loss. Man, I find myself praying these prayers that are, that are saying, God, I think that I've done really good. God, I'm leading this. I'm doing that. I share the gospel here. I share the gospel there. But whatever I considered as gain, I now consider as loss. Whatever I thought was an asset is now a liability. I mean, it's a liability in the sense that I look at it and I say, see, God, you should accept me. I, I am doing what's right. And God says, that's not the point. Because the point is this. And Paul goes on in this passage. I, I got to read the next verse. Verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in, in order that I may gain Christ. How acquainted are you with suffering? Because Jesus is fully acquainted with suffering. He took the injustice in order to justify you, to declare you as righteous. And gospeling yourself, telling yourself the good news all of the time is this. It is continually understanding that any righteousness, any goodness that I have is not my own. It only comes from Christ. My hope is in him. It is in him because he will finally and completely bring justice to this world. And I trust him because he's brought justice in me. He has justified me. He gave me his righteousness and he's taken my sin on that cross. Will he find faith on the earth? I believe he will. 
because he's the one who does this for us. We are a community of people that are constantly crying out to Jesus, God, be merciful to me, the sinner, of whom I am the worst, and I need your grace every day, and it is only in that that we grow in Christ. When we come to that point, that's where we begin to grow. We go to the Lord's table as the ushers come forward with communion. Just hop right up. We've got it. It'll be in a couple different places here. Jesus endured discomfort so that you could be comforted. And he wants, he's, he's calling you to remember that this morning. Would you bow your heads with me? Can we just, can we just talk freely with ourselves? Lord, in what area of my life am I a Pharisee? where I think I've done nothing wrong and I just bring to you all of my good deeds. Lord, convict us of the sin of pride and being self-assured. Lord Jesus, I pray for those that are mourning over their sin that are beating their breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Lord, may they have a deep sense of your grace and your mercy in their life and the promise that you've given them through your cross when you said that this is my body that was broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the bread. And I poured out my blood for your sin, for all of the injustices that you've caused. This is my blood, which is poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Thank you, Jesus, for your cross. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's continue to worship here, guys.